What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Thursday, May 18th, 2023. As tonight, we're talking about a St. Louis Cardinals win and a series win over the Milwaukee Brewers as the Redbirds got it done on Wednesday evening, 3-0 at Bush Stadium to take the rubber game of the series over Milwaukee to pull back within six and a half games of the Brewers in the NL Central standings. I know what you're thinking, and yes, the Cardinals are still in dead last in the Central at 18 and 26, but six and a half games back. And if it makes you feel any better, the Cardinals are within four and a half of a wild card spot. But we're still in mid-May, long way to go, and the Cardinals, to me, are taking the right steps right now to be able to get where they need to be by the season's end. I know what they built in April and early May was not ideal, but the Cardinals continuing to show signs of life. And on Wednesday night, it was a new pitcher into the starting rotation as the Cardinals expand the rotation to six and add Matthew Libertor to it, at least on a temporary basis. But the way he performed Wednesday night, I don't think there should be anything temporary about his addition to the group. Matthew Libertor doing a fine job for the Cardinals, going five-plus innings, allowing no runs and flashing some impressive velocity with some good off-speed stuff and breaking pitches as well. So Matthew Libertor will be a topic of discussion tonight, as will the big swing by Paul DeYoung, who just continues to hit for the Cardinals. You couldn't wipe the grin off his face if you were watching the post-game show on Valley Sports Midwest, the interview from inside the Cardinals clubhouse. Yeah, Paul DeYoung, you deserve it, my friend. You deserve the smiling that you did in those interviews tonight as Paul DeYoung hits a big two-run home run late for the Cardinals onto Freeze's lawn to give them some key insurance in this game. Cardinals win it 3-0 to secure what was honestly an important series win for this team, given that they won't see the Milwaukee Brewers again until September. A little bit of a different feel to the divisional matchups when you compare it to years past. Uh, I think it's been typically like 18, 19 games per year that the Cardinals would play against each of their NL Central opponents, but now it's just 12. I think 12 is the number, 11 or 12, something like that. And there's a huge gap for the Cardinals, and when they see the Brewers once again, I believe it won't be till the toward the bitter end of the season, and I personally don't like that. Uh, Nolan Arenado, by the way, last night said he didn't like it either, not a fan of it, and said he believes that all September baseball should be divisional games, which I thought was a really interesting perspective to get from a player, not only a player, but a star player who has in the past really talked about how much it means to him to go after and and win the NL Central as the Cardinals did last season. He hadn't won a division and wanted to be a part of that sort of environment. And so that was important to him. Feels that all games in, in September and down the stretch of the MLB season should be divisional so that the teams you're vying for a postseason spot against are the teams that you have to beat down the stretch to get it done. And, of course, with the balanced schedule, they've taken away some of that. And so that put, I think, a little bit of heightened importance on Wednesday's game for the Cardinals, especially when you consider that they let Tuesday's game get away from them. With Jordan Montgomery on the bump, they weren't able to get him the run support in a 3-2 to two loss on Tuesday. That's one that we discussed at length on Tuesday night's YouTube live stream of B-Shape Daily Live, which was then recorded, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you missed it. Uh, tonight's B-Shape Daily not being recorded live on YouTube, as I had mentioned on Tuesday's stream that this one probably would not be. 
as Wednesday was my wife and I's anniversary. And so I'm just now getting around to recording this podcast after midnight on Thursday morning. That's why I mentioned that at the beginning, the early morning hours. When I say early morning, I mean like 12, 15 a.m. on Thursday. But I knew I had to get behind the mic because of what Matthew Libertor was able to accomplish on Wednesday. I think it's a big deal for the Cardinals. And I think, at least I hope, it's earned him some staying power within the Cardinals rotation. Uh, I made the comment on Twitter after the game or after his outing. I don't care if the Cardinals decide down the road to go to a two-man rotation. This guy's got to stay in it. I don't know what they want to do and what their plans are and who you take out and who you do this and that. I don't really worry about the details. But what we saw tonight from Matthew Libertor, an absolute breath of fresh air for the Cardinals rotation, which is not to say that they've seen nothing like this to this point because what Jack Flaherty did on Monday, pretty similar, and he was actually able to go a little deeper into that game, get through seven innings. This one for Libertor, only five plus. They tried to pitch him into the sixth. He walks that leadoff man. And I thought a great job by Ali Marmel to pull him from that game when he did to ensure that even if Andre Pallante was not able to get the ground ball double play, which when have we ever known Andre Pallante not to get the ground ball double play? Uh, but but if he wasn't successful in that, Libertor would have only been charged with that one earned run. He could not have been eligible or uh, charged with a loss in this game, which I think is, you know, the wins and losses for pitchers is, is a little bit overrated. And I think uh, we, we have all kind of come to realize that and discuss that as as baseball watchers. But it's almost gotten to the point where maybe it's it's gone so far in the other direction that it's kind of an, an overrated thing to belittle those statistics even more than we necessarily need to. And I, I do think they're important to the players anyway. You ask a pitcher if wins and losses matter, and they say, yeah, that's the whole reason we play. And so while it's not always indicative of how good or bad a pitcher performed on the mound in a given game, uh, it still matters to the guys involved. And so I thought probably not the reason that Ali Marmel did it at that point, but a nice little side impact that uh, even if Palante had given things up there, Libertor would have only been charged with the one earned run and and then, you know, things could have escalated or de-escalated from there. But of course, Palante gets the double play and uh, the Cardinals bullpen was nails tonight. I know it was a little bit dicey there for a moment with Palante after getting, I think it was Telez to ground into the double play ball on a, on a pitch, by the way, that's up in the zone. I don't know how he does it, but Palante is just simply the double play master for the Cardinals and he came in and got that one. Had a little bit of uh, traffic on the bases thereafter in the remainder of the sixth inning. Got out of it, though, and then you saw Gallegos, who looked absolutely nasty tonight for the Cardinals, and then Ryan Helsley coming in to finish the job for St. Louis. A big win, like I said, when you don't see these guys in the division too often and you factor in the fact that the Cardinals have not succeeded to this point in the season, and they have built themselves a pretty sizable hole in the NL Central standings. They are still in last place, even though they've been on a bit of a heater recently, and they've been winning series, and they have had that four-game winning streak before it was snapped on Tuesday. They Now they maybe could begin another one with what they were able to do on Wednesday, beating Corbin Burns, by the way. I mean, that's a guy that uh, St. Louis has struggled against in the past, but they've been able to scratch across some wins against him. It's almost like they have the ability to find good pitching performances when they know they need it against a guy like Burns. And uh, that's exactly what the Cardinals were able to get today from Matthew Libertor. So I like the fact that the Cardinals made this decision about Libby. Go ahead and give him an opportunity. Now is obviously the time to do it when you don't have another off day until June 1st. He's been pitching pretty well in Memphis. I know the last couple of starts that he had gave up four earned runs in each of those games, I believe, was was the count. But that's not really a big deal. He still has an ERA at 3.13 for the season down in AAA. And he just looks like a different pitcher based on everything that uh, he displayed on Wednesday. 
how could you doubt him? Hitting 97, maybe even uh, some discrepancy about that, maybe touching 98 in the game, depending on which radar gun. I know I think the TV radar gun said 98 at times. Uh, the stadium gun, from what I was reading, was at 97 on Libertor's fastball. I mean, this dude was pumping gas, and that's not really something we saw, I don't, I don't think, to that extent from him last season. He had a 5.97 ERA in the cup of coffee he had with the Cardinals last year, getting called up to the big leagues, and even in Memphis, he was not that guy. He had an ERA above five in Memphis as well. And I've talked about how AAA can be a difficult, uh, kind of a difficult environment for pitchers and, and typically hitters have have the way down there with, uh, for whatever reason. I know it was always that way in the Pacific Coast League. Now I believe the Cardinals are in the International League, which uh, they, they play a lot more Midwestern and, and East Coast types of AAA teams with the way the restructuring has gone. But it just seems like it's it can be tough for pitchers down in AAA. And really, Libertor found that out last year with the way they performed. I think it was like a 5.20 ERA in Memphis and then a 5.97 ERA in St. Louis. So really not a very successful 2022 for Matthew Libertor, who was a guy that coming into the year probably still seen as a, a pretty regarded pitching prospect. And obviously the Cardinals thought a lot of him when they acquired him. First of all, he's a former first-round pick. I believe it was the 2018 draft, I want to say. I could be getting that wrong by a year or so. But a first-round pick out of high school of the Tampa Bay Rays, the Cardinals trade Randy Rosarena, right? I get it. They send a Rosarena to Tampa Bay try to, to, to get Libertor in. He becomes a star. At the time, the Cardinals viewed him sort of as uh, somebody in their fourth outfield range, uh, just just a guy that wasn't necessarily going to get in the mix. And, uh, yeah, you know, they've, they've been uh, cursed ever since when it comes to production in the outfield, and that's still something that they're going to have to deal with and try to figure out moving forward. We've seen some signs from some guys. Maybe Jordan Walker can help that out when he gets back to St. Louis. But obviously the Rosarena trade hasn't worked out to this point. But I think in fairness to Libertor, when you trade a guy who is major league ready and you trade him to a place where he is going to get everyday opportunity, the way the Cardinals did with the Rosarena to Tampa, the return on their investment is obviously going to show much earlier than the move the Cardinals made. The Cardinals knew the entire way that that was going to be a long play when it came to Matthew Libertor, because again, he was just fresh out of high school when he was drafted in the first round in the same year as Nolan Gorman was childhood friends, of course, and uh, then getting the opportunity to play in the same organization. Libby has been a little bit behind though, when it comes to uh, his, his development and his progress through the system, Nolan Gorman, I think coming into this year, the Cardinals had big plans for him. It's not to say they didn't have big plans for Matthew Libertor as well, but I think when John Mozeliak made the comment, and it's it's become infamous at this point in time, but when he made the comment about the Cardinals, we believe we have six starters, right? That was the famous comment that he made that is sort of, uh, you know, been reviled by Cardinals fans when you look at the way the starting rotation has performed so far this season. He was talking about the six starters, the five guys that were in the rotation before tonight with Libertor joining, plus Dakota Hudson, those six guys who all had pretty significant major league starting uh, experience under their belt. Libertor, though, I don't really think was genuinely in that consideration or conversation to start the year because he had a very good spring training, and yet there was no no room at the end, right, for Matthew Libertor. The Cardinals didn't have uh, a rash of spring training injuries in the rotation like you a lot of times do see a couple of guys go down. Adam Wainwright ended up being the only one to do so. And uh, another guy that was, a, I say younger, but he's been around the block for a couple of years, right in that Memphis shuttle. Jake Woodford had a very good spring as well, a little bit further along in the uh, the progress path, if you will. And so the Cardinals deferred to Jake Woodford to get that opportunity, putting him in the rotation to begin the 2023 season. They gave him his shot. It 
was kind of suspect. He was uh, middle of the road. Granted, came up with the shoulder injury, and so we'll see how long that ends up keeping him out. He is still on the injured list uh, with the shoulder situation that he was dealing with. But Matthew Libertor didn't worry about that at all. He clearly went down to AAA and decided to continue putting in the work and showing that, yeah, he does belong at the big league level. And what he's been able to do with his increase in velocity, the crispness for me of some of these pitches. I mean, the curveball, he had a couple that that uh, slipped out, maybe got away from him. But for the most part, you saw that as a very dastardly pitch tonight for Libertor. Uh, he was working the top of the strike zone pretty frequently with the fastball and able to change eye levels with that because when he snaps off a curveball that, that sits right below the uh, bottom of the strike zone, that can be a pretty dangerous situation for a hitter to be in because you got to respect it up, and then next thing you know, it falls off the table. And so he was able to do a really nice job, I thought, of changing eye levels and uh, just, just being effective on, on all parts of the plate. I mean, Matthew Libertor, it, it seemed like last year, and he talked about this. I've referenced this a number of times. Back at winter warm-up, he talked about not really being that guy that attacked enough, and he didn't have the bulldog mentality that he expects of himself. That's the way he described his pitching last season. And tonight, I think you saw a completely different version of Libertor than what Cardinals fans were used to seeing, at least at the Major League level. If you've been watching him down in AAA this year with Memphis, you've probably seen some of that because he has had some gaudy strikeout games. He has had some games where he has shoved and dominated. And today, that's kind of what he did. Now, I didn't watch his postgame but I imagine he might have said, yeah, it could have been a little bit more efficient because starters always want to get deep into games. And so the fact that he only records 15 outs tonight, uh, you might say, yeah, it would have been nice to get a little bit more out of him. However, I think this was the perfect game, and, and credit to the Cardinals organization for setting up Libertor and the team, therefore, in a position to succeed tonight. Because we knew coming in that the Milwaukee Brewers, and again, this is a stat that we brought up last night, on the uh, the B-Shape Daily Livecast on YouTube, which would love to have y'all if you're over here on Spotify and uh, not familiar with YouTube, check out the YouTube and subscribe for me if you can. We are closing in on 1,000 subscribers, and I think there is a chance we get there by the end of the month, which would be so awesome as uh, we began building this thing up at the beginning of April. But uh, subscribe over on YouTube, youtube.com slash bshafer12. Or I should say, it's youtube.com slash at bshafer12, just like my Twitter handle, Got to have the at in there. I don't know why YouTube did that, but they did. But for those who are listening now on YouTube, because I'll put this on YouTube as well, it'll be an audio-only version of the podcast for this edition of the show. But please go ahead and subscribe over there, like the content, and head on over to Spotify where you can follow B-Shafe Daily on that platform as well for the audio cast of the show. But we talked about this on the YouTube live stream on Tuesday, the fact that with Libertor coming in, because that was news that broke late Tuesday, we knew that the Milwaukee Brewers ranked 29th in OPS and MLB batting against left-handed pitching. And they did have a little bit of success, obviously, on Tuesday with a couple of home runs they hit off of Jordan Montgomery, but both of those were solo for a reason. Monty generally did a pretty good job of keeping Brewers off the base paths. But the Brewers, that's a matchup that the Cardinals wanted to exploit against them, and they thought, well, what better way to do that than with all of these games coming up in a row where we don't have an off day. I don't think the Cardinals have one until June 1st. And so they're kind of in the middle of that stretch right now. Let's go ahead and add a six starter to the mix, a guy that is very deserving with the way that he has performed through the first six weeks or so of the Memphis season. Matthew Libertor, he's a lefty. Definitely, I think, going to be a better matchup when you compare it to, to what Adam Wainwright might do against a Brewers lineup that uh, is, is fine against righties. They're still in the middle of the road, by the way, against right-handed pitching. I think an OPS in the kind of low to mid-700s. Uh, before Wednesday's game, it was like direct 15th in MLB and OPS against righties. 
So it's not to say that Wayno could not have succeeded. I've continuously talked about the fact that I don't think this Brewers lineup can hold a candle to the St. Louis Cardinals lineup over the course of 162 games. I just think you compare spot by spot, one through nine, the Cardinals are simply better. And I know that right now they're still trailing this team by six and a half games. But top to bottom, when I look at these two rosters, I just don't believe that's going to be the case over the long haul. The Cardinals, to me, still have the advantage. And I look at all the other teams in this division, teams uh, two through four right now, which I believe in order are the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds. And I basically dismiss them outright. I know the Pirates are still sitting about three games above 500. Uh, the Cubs and Reds uh, plugging along there a little bit below 500. And the Cardinals with an opportunity, I think, to catch both of those teams potentially before the end of this month. I just look at it now. It's the Cardinals and the Brewers to me, the two teams that are uh, on, on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the standings. The Brewers are in first. The Cardinals are in last. But those are the two rosters that I do believe are the best in the in the division at this point. But I just look top to bottom. The Cardinals, I think, are, are simply better than the Milwaukee Brewers. And so it's just a matter of overcoming that horrendous start. I think it was 10-24 and 24 at the worst of the, the winning percentage rate for the Cardinals this season. Yeah, that's a big hole to dig out of, but we're already seeing the Cardinals doing a nice job of that, winning eight of their last 10 to pull within now six and a half games of the Brew Crew in the division. And so my point with that entire diatribe was just to say that, sure, Wainwright could have been able to shove against this lineup as well. He'll now face the Dodgers instead on Thursday. Cardinals opening up that series against Los Angeles and welcoming in the Dodgers for a four-game set at Busch Stadium. Uh, again, more contenders coming into town, and then the schedule really does lighten up for the Cardinals after that. There is an opportunity that by the end of this month, they I'm not going to say they're at 500 because they'd have to rattle off basically every game. They could lose a couple, but not more than that, I don't think, to get to that point because they're still eight games below. But for the Cardinals, the schedule will lighten up eventually right now, a little bit tough, and they're going to have Wainwright face the Dodgers, but it was just a benefit to the Cardinals at this point in time to go ahead, and if you're going to add Libertor to the mix for the rest of this month, and uh, then kind of see the way that it goes to, to stretch it out a little bit. And I guess I don't know for sure that that was the plan for it to be the rest of the month. Maybe it could have conceivably been just one start. I'm telling you, after tonight, there's no way the Cardinals could justify pulling him after that game and uh, taking him out of the rotation. This six-man thing has to stick to at least that June 1st off day, uh, in my opinion, based on the way that Libertor did. Maybe you adjusted if somebody were to get injured, but barring that, the Cardinals just don't have the luxury to take a guy like Matthew Libertor out of the rotation with what he showed tonight. If you're sitting mid-90s the way that he did, and they don't really have guys in the rotation that do that, by the way. Like, I, I don't... Jordan Montgomery can can pump it up there at times. Miles Michaelis, usually lower 90s, right? He can probably get into the mid-90s. Um, Jack Flaherty, obviously, is a guy that can do it, and we saw that a little bit on Monday. Um, but prior to Monday's start, I don't think we had seen much 95-96 from him. Uh, that did happen on Monday, and so maybe it is something that can continue. But Wainwright certainly doesn't do it. Steven Matz, again, he can get there. But I think most of these guys, in terms of the way they sit, it's going to be more low 90s and, and maybe you get to 93-94. Matthew Libertor was pretty consistently 95-plus tonight. I mean, looking at the stat cast of it, this is the definition of sitting mid-90s. Had uh, some in the, the 94 and whatever tenths range, like 94.3, you know, those kinds of things, but then pretty regularly 95, getting up to 96, 97 as well. Andre Pallante, by the way, did the same thing. He was 96, 97 on several of his fastballs there coming in uh, as a reliever behind Libertor, which I I guess I've seen him go mid-90s, but I don't think I can recall too much 97 from Pallante. That dude's got some gas, and that's another guy, by the way, that when you talk about the 2024 rotation, uh, 
you know, he he's a guy who started and did a nice job for the Cardinals last year and so should probably be in the mix going into next year. But we've talked about the fact that if he is used as a relief pitcher for the entirety of 2023, I think it's going to be an innings issue for Polante that he's just not going to be built up enough necessarily. But I also don't know with a guy like him that maybe that's not a big deal because he just seems like a guy who can defy the odds a little bit and just do whatever you ask him to do. He did it last year going from relief at the beginning of the season to joining the rotation mid-year. Uh, who's to say that he couldn't do something like that down the road? But Matthew Libertor is the guy I want to focus on primarily. He was really, really good tonight for the Cardinals in flashing that kind of velocity that you don't all too consistently see from the Cardinals, at least so far this year in their starting rotation. The curveball is a dangerous pitch for him. He can do a lot of good things with it, uh, working in the sinker, working in the slider as well. I, I mean, he was he was basically painting to all areas of the strike zone and and willing to to go beyond the zone a little bit to try and get an umpire to call one for him, which he did a couple of times. I, I noticed uh, maybe a bit of a wide zone tonight. I don't know what the umpire scorecard will show on Thursday when that comes out on Twitter. But Matthew Libertor was, I I think he was effective in the way that he kind of sprayed it around a little bit and uh, was able to use a, a good mix of his pitches. Has a lot to be proud about with the way that he performed. And again, beggars can't be choosers. When you get a start like this from a, a Cardinal starter in 2023, based on the way things have gone, you say, yeah, that's a guy that you're going you're gonna to rally behind and you're going to keep it rolling with. Three hits, three walks allowed, six strikeouts for Matthew Libertor in his five innings of work. Like I said, ended up pitching into the sixth, walked that first batter, so that was the third walk of, of his night and ended up being the last batter that he faced, which I thought was a, a wise decision. You can make the case that maybe you, you don't even bring him out for the sixth, and I think that's where I leaned, honestly, at the time. I was, I was wanting to see him grit through to get six innings out because that's just been a rarity for the Cardinals rotation. But when you look at the way things have gone the last few days, you got that seven-inning outing from Flaherty on Monday where you didn't need anybody in relief except for James Nail, who obviously uh, was optioned out today for Libertor in the first place. And so that's a guy who threw a couple of innings, but he's not even available anyway now because he's not on the roster. Everybody else was rested from Monday. They all got the off day last Thursday. And so that was a little better in terms of just having some days where nobody got used in a recent stretch for the Cardinals. They hadn't really been able to say that because everybody has had a pretty hefty workload. It's been all hands on deck out of that bullpen for the most part with the uh, starters just not able to go very deep into games. And then you got that outing that you did from Flaherty on Monday. And then knowing for several days in a row, you were able to stay away from both Gallegos and Helsley. Those were two guys that uh, Ali Marnell said after the game, we knew that between the two of them, we were going to be able to get three innings. That was kind of the expectation. And so if you can get through the sixth, you're golden till the end, especially when Gio and Helsley are throwing the way that they are. Gio was absolutely stupendous tonight, man. He was disgustingly nasty. Uh, I think that's probably the best we've seen him all year. And we've seen some good Gio, by the way. I know you're going to be apt to remember the games that he he struggles and obviously had in the midst of that losing streak a really rough one at Bush where he gave up uh, a home run and a double and a lot of you know a lot of things that, that ended up hurting the Cardinals in that game uh, when they really needed him to be able to close out a late lead. But other than that game, Gio has been sensational. And honestly, it's a mea culpa on my part where I just didn't know he was going to be this good this year. When I was thinking preseason about maybe some of the relief pitchers, and, and again, we always talk about how bullpens are fickle and you don't always know what to expect from guys from year to year. So when I was kind of dialing up my opinions on what I was looking at coming into the year, I had sort of gotten it in my head that maybe Gallegos would struggle a little bit 
just because of the fact that he had been a guy that was very slow to the plate, one of the slowest workers in baseball uh, when you count his time between each pitch. And bam, they're introducing a pitch clock this year. Oh, and by the way, he's pitching for Team Mexico in the World Baseball Classic, in which he struggled a little bit, um, gave up some unfortunate uh, hits and homers there late in that uh, tournament. And so that's not something he even dealt with. There's no pitch clock in the WBC, and so he was late to the party on that. I just thought, man, it, it just seems like there are a lot of things stacked against Gallegos this year. Mia culpa. I was wrong. He has been absolutely fantastic for the Cardinals. And again, tonight was maybe the best that we have seen him uh, with what he was able to do against this Milwaukee lineup. Obviously, a couple of hits and a walk that he gives up, but I'm looking at the nastiness of the stuff when I say that. The three strikeouts that he put together, uh, just those guys had no chance. And when he is at that point with his pitches, there's about nothing you can do against Gio Gallegos. And so, yeah, a little traffic on the bases. Same can be said for Helsley. Same was said for Polante when he put a couple of guys on after getting the uh, the double play ball to begin that sixth inning. Ended that one with a strikeout. Cardinals tonight with 11 total strikeouts. Six of them were Libertors. Uh, Polante gets one, Gio with three, and Helsley with one coming on there with the four-out save. Just a really nice job by the bullpen in a situation where, again, we're talking about the Cardinals knowing what they had in the arsenal and what was in the chamber there in terms of the bullets from some of their top relievers. And so I feel like the edict there was kind of, hey, if we can get Libby through six and we've got a lead, probably going to win that game. So they tried to put him back out there and get him through that sixth inning. He was about 90 pitches, I want to say, after five. Ended up with a relatively non-competitive walk to the first batter there in the sixth. And that's when Ollie came out with the hook to get him. Understood why they tried to push him a little bit. But like I was saying, I think knowing what you had with the bullpen, especially in your top two guys, uh, you, you could have potentially been a little bit more aggressive there. But at the same time, if you can get Libby through six, then you know it's Gallegos and Helsley off the sheet. You don't need to go to anybody else. Um, but credit to Ollie Marmel again. Like, he thinks about it probably two and three layers deep when we're always kind of looking at what the decision ends up being. you got to look at kind of the other angles and the other things that could pop up. And in that situation, knew that uh, Palante had pitched but uh, still had some bullets in the chamber for tonight was – uh, the belief, and he's a guy that's been able to go back-to-back at times. I know he dealt with the arm fatigue during that Colorado series out in uh, Denver and then coming back from that, needed an extra day at one point in time. And uh, if you recall, the next day, I think, was when he served up that grand slam at Bush and was optioned shortly after that. But he's a guy that generally is able to bounce back pretty well. He's just, like like I said, earlier in the podcast, I said I expect that Palante, even if he didn't get a lot of innings in this year, could still be a part of that starter mix going into 2024 just because he's kind of a rubber band arm guy and really just seems to be able to bounce back quickly. And so not a surprise that he was available for the Cardinals today and they knew they were going to need that double play out of him. The inning uh, kind of spiraled a little bit after that. He ultimately used 20 pitches to get through the sixth. I think Ollie probably was thinking, get that double play and then, you know, have one more guy that you have to go after and can, can go take a seat after 10, 12 pitches uh, Telez was a guy that uh, certainly has hit into a, a number of double plays. I think seven on the year. This was number eight. So they really had the situation and the statistics in their favor. They know those metrics and they know what to expect. Uh, but then giving up a hit and a walk thereafter, Palante had to grind a little bit to throw 20 total pitches. And so I think they'll stay away from him. The Cardinals will for a couple of days, which could kind of be interesting. Tomorrow is arguably a day where uh, just like the Brewers kind of needed from Corbin Burns tonight to get deep into this game after what uh, the Milwaukee bullpen had to do yesterday. Uh, and he only ended up going six and gave up the three runs. So great job, man, by Paul DeYoung to be able to get to him 
there in that sixth inning. A huge, and again, the Cardinals may have won this game one to nothing, but doesn't it feel a heck of a lot better with the traffic that was on the bases late in this game against the Cardinal bullpen? They didn't give anything up, but certainly it would have been a lot more tense, I think, than it was if that's only a one nothing game instead of a 3 nothing game. So a nice job by Paul DeYoung, of course, and we'll get to him in a bit, to be able to chase Corbin Burns after six. He had only thrown 89 pitches in the game, and typically you might expect to see Burns go a little deeper, but the Cardinals did a nice job against him. Eight hits, uh, just the one walk, but getting the three earned runs as well, and seven strikeouts. That's arguably lower than you'd generally expect to see from Burns, a guy of his caliber, uh, especially with the success that he's had on the mound against the Cardinals in the past. But tomorrow could certainly be a day where exactly what Milwaukee was hoping to get out of Corbin Burns tonight, the Cardinals may need out of Adam Wainwright tomorrow because you look at Palante, probably a guy who you wouldn't think would be available. Uh, Gallegos ended up throwing 36 pitches, Helsley 24. And so I think all three of those guys might be unavailable tomorrow. And it's not to say that tomorrow's game doesn't matter. I mean, you're facing another uh, you know probable playoff team from the National League, the Dodgers, uh, didn't maybe spend as much as some other teams this offseason, but they've still got a ton of talent stockpiled and uh, high expectations and, and, and a good record as of right now, leading the NL West, of course, out there. But I think there is something to be said for making sure that tonight's game was prioritized because clearly the way that Craig Council managed on Tuesday, he was managing with a mind on, hey, we're not seeing this Cardinals team again for another few months. And after Wade Miley gets uh, pulled from the game with the lat injury there in the second we're going to throw every which reliever that we have to at this Cardinal team to make sure we get out of here with a win. And that's what the Brewers were able to do Tuesday. So after they did that, I think even more pressure on the Cardinals to make sure they get Wednesday's game. And if this was a week ago or maybe two weeks ago when the Cardinals were in the midst of that eight-game losing streak and it felt like even when they had a lead late in a game, you didn't really expect it to hold, tonight could have gone very differently for St. Louis. But they have now been able to establish, or I should say reestablish, the mentality that when they're leading late in games, that's advantage Cardinals. That's not play on your heels, play scared, worry about what's about to go wrong and what could possibly ruin the good vibes here. It's, oh, we're in the driver's seat now and we're going to be able to finish this thing out. And uh, that's where you get the really solid pitching for the bullpen. You get a guy like Paul Young able to lock in and add on against a really tough pitcher with the home run that he hits on the freezes one. The Cardinals have shifted the mentality, and I think that's really important for a team that, yes, is still eight games below five hundred but they get some really good performances. You can make the case that this was the most impressive win so far of the Cardinal season. Not like 18 to one. Wow. That's wonderful. But like given the situation, given that they are going to have to pick up a lot of ground on the Brewers, if they're going to get the central central under wraps, uh, they could have been eight and a half games behind at the end of tonight with a loss. You know, they came in at seven and a half. That is a two game swing. Every time you play the division leader, uh, you're going to win or they're going to win. And the other team is going to have the opposite impact of that. So, Instead of a loss, the Cardinals come out of there with a win, and it's a two-game swing from eight and a half potentially had you lost this one to six and a half. And so you're within striking distance, and now you don't have the ability to to keep matters in your own hands, right? Like you can't control what the Brewers do against the rest of their schedule. But when you play the Brewers, you can control what the Brewers do if you're able to beat them. And so important, even though it's not what it could have been, like the Cardinals lose a one-run game on Tuesday, and that is the difference between being six and a half games back right now and the four and a half games back that it could have been. Yeah, this could have been a monumental shift for the Cardinals. Instead, it's an incremental gain. And I think right now you take an incremental gain with where the Cardinals were, where where their season had been, all the Wilson Contreras stuff. Now, that's another aspect of this, right? When you realize that Monday he had a really good uh, start with Jack Flaherty and, and called an excellent game doesn't start on Tuesday in the Montgomery game 
And and that was maybe more a product of wanting to have Andrew Kisner's bat in the lineup against uh, lefty Wade Miley, who obviously was was pulled quickly with injury, and so that was not ultimately something that was too impactful. But then you get Wilson back behind the plate on Wednesday, and you get him catching Libertor. I saw some comments that were like, oh, this is an important game for the Cardinals. Maybe if they don't really trust Contreras as a catcher, they might put Kisner back there for Libertor just to make sure they've got the best guy that they really trust. Nope, that's not the plan here for the Cardinals. Contreras, and, and Ollie said it on Monday, and I know he sort of it, it looked like doubled back on that with Tuesday's decision, but I don't think that was about the catcher as much as it was the offensive game plan. The plan is for Contreras to catch every day, to be their primary catcher. He's not going to catch every day, but he's their guy. And when you have a, a rookie, a, a young pitcher coming up that, that struggled a little bit last year, but he's getting back into the mix after gaining some confidence in the minors uh, through the early portion of this season, you have your guy catch that guy. And that's where Wilson Contreras was today. And I like this too. And this is maybe kind of a, an aspect that people don't think about a ton, don't talk about a ton. It's one I've tried to bring up. But back in spring training, when you'd see comments about, hey, how is Wilson Contreras integrating? The two folks commenting that, that are on this pitching staff that I thought had, at least to my eye, the most favorable reviews or the most noticeable eye-popping quotes about how much they enjoyed throwing to Wilson Contreras were Adam Wainwright, who Contreras did not get a chance to throw to and still hasn't, by the way, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the regular season, because when uh, Wainwright had returned, it was like basically that weekend, right, that everything kind of blew up with Contreras, and they said, yeah, he's not a catcher anymore, or at least for the time being. And so Wainwright still has not thrown to Contreras, but had good things to say about him and, and the way he was coming along in spring. And the other guy, though, was Matthew Libertor, who did throw to him uh, pretty frequently in the spring because neither of those guys were World Baseball Classic, and they learned each other and had a seemingly good rapport. I, I can recall some quotes. I don't have them offhand, but Libertor was definitely very glowing in his praise of what it was like to have Contreras behind the plate as a receiver of his pitches. And so I thought it made all the sense in the world to get Wilson back behind the plate tonight for Libertor, and those guys obviously worked very well together. And so just kind of pointing this out that two games this week, Wilson Contreras catching for the Cardinals, one total run allowed in 18 innings for the Cardinals. That's a pretty good mark for the pitching staff. I think we can put the whole Wilson Contreras stuff to bed in terms of whatever the weirdness was over the previous couple of weeks with him and the Cardinals and the way they handled that whole thing. But I think it's worth noting that uh, he's done a nice job and clearly has a good feel for what Matthew Libertor is capable of doing and the, and the way they want to approach a lineup together. And now I just look at it with Libertor. Uh, Going to start in six days. That would be my my assumption for this Cardinals team. But now what's really interesting is what happens if we see a couple of clunky starts by Steven Matz over the rest of this month. And the reason I bring up Matz is because if you if you cycle through the rest of your starters in that Rolodex, they're not sitting Wainwright, they're not benching Michaelis, they're not banishing Flaherty or, or Montgomery even to the bullpen. The one guy that, that has sort of had a little bit of shaky footing in terms of rumors and reports were actually starting to surface that, hey, maybe the Cardinals would skip this guy's start in the rotation. They're going to skip his turn. They're going to do this. They, they don't like the way the curveball feels, so they're going to work on that on the side. Like, that never ultimately materialized, but it was something that was definitely being talked about with Steven Matz as recently as, like, two weeks ago, right? So even though he has looked pretty good in his last couple of outings, and that's all relative, but he's gone five and a third in both of his last two starts, gave up one run, and then gave up three runs. So that's one out shy of 11 innings pitch and four total runs. So perfectly acceptable and adequate, which is something the Cardinals really had not been getting from their rotation the first month or so of the season. 
So if Stephen Matz keeps doing that, he's fine, and then it's going to be very interesting to see what the Cardinals do. I don't imagine they'll stay with a six-man rotation throughout the entire season, although if you don't have an ace emerge, there's not really a huge downside to it other than maybe the impact that you have on the bullpen because you've got one fewer arm out there to be able to cover innings, and you might have to ride more guys on the Memphis shuttle, which means potentially not always having your best relievers available to you on a day-to-day basis. So I don't know if it is a long-term thing that the Cardinals are are going to be willing to sustain, but they clearly felt like it was worthwhile to explore in this part of the calendar. But now that you've got Libertor here in St. Louis and you've got Mats still in St. Louis, it's not like an apples-to-oranges conversation anymore to compare these two guys and their numbers. If Libertor was in Memphis and he was doing great, everybody would clamor for it because it's like the grass is always greener on the other side and, and people are going to be angry about what they're seeing in front of them in St. Louis when that's not going well. And for Steven Matz, it hadn't been there for a while. And so it made sense that that was the way people felt. But now they're on the same plane. It is now an apples-to-apples comparison. You can look every, I say five days, really it's every six days now with a six-man rotation. You can look at the way that develops and say, well, are Matthew Libertor's numbers better than Steven Matz's numbers? Okay, if we're going to a five-man rotation and that's the case, Libertor's not the guy to leave. I don't know if it's Matt's either. I don't know who it is, but it's not Matthew Libertor. The Cardinals at eight games below 500 right now are in no position to be able to cater to salary, to cater to contract, any of those things. It's got to be, you know, Steven Matz has the spot. He has been in the rotation. But this was something that Andy, my co-host on the big show on KTGR, mentioned on uh, Wednesday afternoon. It's almost like an audition at this point for both of these guys. Not just Matthew Libertor, but Steven Matz is almost like auditioning to keep his spot in the rotation unless the Cardinals are willing to commit to a six-man rotation for the long run, which I don't know whether they are, and I also don't even know if that's a great idea. But if Steven Matz continues to pitch well, it gets difficult. If there's somebody else that you know struggles, I just, like I said, I don't know how you do it to Montgomery or Flaherty, especially what we saw from Flaherty just now uh, on Monday. If Flaherty had two more really bad outings and the ERA was then over seven, there would be a whole different conversation uh, it's just unimaginable at this point to say, well, okay, we just saw it from Jack Flaherty. So that's his his rotation spot is never really going to be in danger, barring something just cataclysmic happening on, on his behalf and, uh, and his ability to get batters out. There's nobody else in the rotation that I think it was as close to kind of careening over the edge at one point in time as Steven Matz was. And the Cardinals really don't want to see Steven Matz out of the rotation either. Like that's not, they, they were reluctant to even skip a start for him which is why they didn't do it, despite him looking pretty shaky for the majority of those early season outings. So that's why it's really interesting to me. Most teams, and the Cardinals are included in this, are generally going to cater to those contracts. But if Matthew Libertor goes out and shoves a couple of more times, yes, he's got to get a little bit deeper into games. It was fine for tonight because of the way the bullpen had things set up, and they knew they had Geo and Helsley to combine for three innings. Palante was able to get you through the sixth. Not that big of a deal that he only goes five-plus. But if he continues to give up no runs... The Cardinals don't have they don't have that kind of rotation to just say okay thank you for your service and send him back to Memphis. They don't have that. They don't have those dudes in the rotation to just be able to do that to a Matthew Libertor if he continues to perform. So I am going to be very fascinated to see the way this goes. There's no way he only gets one start. If he does, there should be riots in the streets. I mean, I get it. The Cardinals are playing a lot better lately, but you've got to take what you've got and see what you can ride with it on Matthew Libertor with the way that he has performed. With the way he looked tonight, he looked ready for major league action, and he looked ready to be a big league starter. I thought it beforehand, based on the math of it all, that Matthew Libertor would probably 
uh, kind of have an edge for a rotation spot in 2024. But now I'm ready as I do my mental projections to just go ahead and put him in there because I think the progression that he has made between end of last season and what we saw tonight has been significant. And he's going to be affordable and team-controlled for a number of years. So, yeah, I'll pencil Matthew Libertor into that 2024 rotation. As of tonight, I feel pretty good about that. But to hell with that. He should stay in the 2023 rotation as well. And I don't care if that's a a six-man version or a five-man version or a four or a three or a two. I don't care what it is. If he's continuing to pitch the way that he did tonight with the confidence and the swagger that he had on the mound, I, I don't see any way you take him out. But it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for the Cardinals as they sort of have to weigh through what that looks like as you come upon the end of May. Uh, I think he should have two more starts, probably. Maybe just one. It's going to be interesting to see how that lays out. But if you count six days from the 17th to the 23rd and then the 29th, it should probably be two more for Matthew Libertor, uh, unless I'm missing something about this situation. So we'll see what ends up happening there. But I wanted to also talk about Paul DeYoung a little bit tonight. The Cardinals offense in general didn't do a ton in this game in terms of uh, turning their opportunities into runs scored. Uh, they end up with eight hits as a team. Edmund plugs one. Burleson had one. The the Burleson one, I believe, was the bunt hit, which uh, I'm telling you, there was a meeting. I don't know if this has been widely reported or if it's been asked about, um, but just my speculation, there had to have been a meeting where they said, hey, we're going to bunt in situation X, Y, and Z. We're going to make that a concerted effort. Like when they were going through the losing streak, I think this all kind of started. I've seen so many bunts the last couple few weeks. Most of the time, I think it's ridiculous. Tonight, with nobody out, runners on first and second, they saw what they needed to see to, to lay it down, and Burleson was able to to execute it to perfection. But then you load the bases, and honestly, you can make a case that that just pissed off Corbin Burns because what he did to Paul DeYoung and then to Tommy Edmond and then getting Lars Newbar to dribble out to end the inning, I mean, that that guy was on a nitro boost, and it was like you you angered him by bunting. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if there's ever a time where you go, oh, why wouldn't it? Like, if you can guarantee me that the bunt hit is going to work and I'm going to have bases loaded, nobody out, I don't think there's a scenario where you say, yeah, don't let me have that. Uh, even though DeYoung's a guy that's grounded into some double plays, even in that spot, a double play ball, 6-4-3, would mean a run scoring if the bases are loaded. And so you'd probably take that. The Cardinals don't get out of that inning with a zero run score because he carves up DeYoung. And, I mean, Tommy Edmond on those curveballs, man, he just didn't know what to do with him. And Tommy Edmonds is a really good hitter, guys. He's OPSing 803 still. Paul DeYoung, even though he looked silly in that at bat, went on to Homer on DeFreeze's lawn, has a 917 OPS for the season. I'm hoping that my buddy Sean, I believe Sean's his name, the uh, the fellow from Twitter that told me I'll, I'll Venmo you $1,000 if Paul DeYoung ends up uh, with an OPS at 750 or higher. And he also needs to reach 400-plus plate appearances. That was the other part of the deal. Again, this was not a bet. This was just he told it to me. And it within the tweet, it's so funny because I would never expect somebody to follow through on something like that, except for the fact that within the tweet, he said, I am being serious. Like, <laughs> felt the need to uh, double down and clarify that, like, this is not just a joke. So I've continued to kind of tweet at him about it. I don't know if he's a listener of the show or not. Probably not. But I, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see <laughs> what kind of comes of that. If, uh, if Paul DeYoung actually gets close to this, maybe it'll be, if nothing else, kind of some fun fodder for Twitter. But nevertheless... Paul DeYoung, OPSing 917, looked very silly in that at bat against Corbin Burns, but that was an example of an inning where the Cardinals just were not able to take advantage of an opportunity. They have the bases loaded, nobody out, 8-9-1 coming up. Even though their 8-9-1 hitters all have OPSs above 800 this season, they were not able to get a run across. And I think they maybe just made Corbin Burns mad with that bunt. 
Again, I don't know if there's an opportunity where you say you can guarantee me bases load nobody out, but I have to do a bunt that that might piss off the pitcher. Who cares? The function of that doesn't matter as much as actually getting the guy on first base and having those bases loaded. Maybe maybe it was a mistake to bunt in that situation because you clearly angered Corbin Burns and and you won't like him when he's angry. He's a very good pitcher and was able to get out of the jam thereafter. I'm being somewhat facetious, but that was kind of wild, but indicative of the kind of night the Cardinals had for the most part unable to get things rolling. They they had a little bit of small ball, put the ball in play, and scoring a run in the first inning that uh, occurred on the RBI by Nolan Arenado, the 1,000th RBI of his career. So congratulations to Nolan on that one. But other than that, there was just nothing to speak of for the Cardinals in this game offensively until the DeYoung home run in the sixth, and then they still had nothing really going on thereafter. But a lot of credit to Paul DeYoung for the way that, first of all, he came through against Burns, who's a tough customer to face tonight but was also just generally able to remake himself as a hitter. I'm not ready to say, like, he's back back and this is what he's going to be the entire year. He's going to OPS 900, and, uh, you know, he's got 66 at-bats and five home runs, so you're going to you're gonna basically say we're about it. You know, he, he missed a good portion of the season due to injury, and so I don't know how deep into the season you would say, yeah, Paul DeYoung is this number. I would love to see him get to 400 plate appearances. I know that much because uh, that – is evidently a uh, an important number for my bank account moving forward. Uh, so far this year, I, I, it won't show me the plate appearances on MLB.com. It's the one thing I wish MLB.com would do, and I'm I, my laptop is running too slow for me to bother uh, pulling up baseball reference. But 66 at-bats, and so, I mean, even if you just multiply that by four, he's only played in 19 games, but, I mean, he's on a pace where he could certainly knock 20, 25, depending on the number of at-bats that he gets, potentially 30 home runs in this season. I would be shocked if he did that. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't go on Twitter and say I'll give you $1,000 if if he, if he does it because I don't. I, I think it's possible because, again, he's a guy who hits mistake pitches well, and uh, if you leave one over the heart of the plate, he's going to punish it. He's a talented guy, and he's a guy who uh, works hard to to be ready for those types of pitches, and oftentimes he is. But I just don't know what the the long-term sustainability is of Paul DeYoung doing it at this level. I think at 800 OPS, certainly plausible. 20 home runs, be able to play some good shortstop defense, uh, certainly in the cards. But Paul DeYoung, a lot to be proud of. And uh, Cardinals fans, I hope you just jump on board with this guy and support him every step of the way. Because there have been some nasty things said about Paul DeYoung over the years. Uh, he's never been a guy that, that really deserved any of that. I get it with the way that he played and the way that he hit was very disappointing for a guy that had more expectations than that and then got the contract because of it. So he's getting paid all the while that he's struggling. But Paul DeYoung is the type of guy and the type of human that you root for. Uh, I can just tell you that. And so I, I, I hope Cardinals fans are are fully on board the Paul D train with what he's been able to do. And again, you could not wipe the grin off his face. Uh, with with the questions and the interviews that he was giving there post game with what they showed on Bally, I felt pretty good for the guy. Uh, good to see with all that he's been through that he's having some success right now, and good to see for the Cardinals again. Part of what allows me to say that the Brewers just can't hold a candle to the Cardinals offensively when you look at them one through nine is the fact that Paul DeYoung is a guy that's batting eighth in their lineup today and he's OPSing 917 this year. Tommy Edmond is batting ninth in their lineup today. He's OPSing 803. Newt Bar at the top 838. Goldie 919. Gorman. 961, which, by the way, Nolan Gorman made a play that I just didn't even know Nolan Gorman had in his bag tonight. Ending an inning to take away a run that would have been charged to Matthew Libertor. It was like a it was like a shortstop Derek Jeter jump throw going away from the body. Uh, like, just incredible stuff by Nolan Gorman on the third base side of second to go against the grain, against his body, get enough on that throw to be able to beat the runner at first base. Ends an inning, takes away an earned run. And uh, another earned run was removed from the board as well when Tyrone Taylor, 
Looked like he homered. It went off the top of the wall, though, and the Cardinals were on top of it in their replay room. Told Ollie, yep, you need to challenge this one. That's not going to stand. And uh, the ball ends up bouncing back in toward the infield. Lars Dupar just kind of held it uh, because at that point, there's nothing really they're going to – if they call the home run, there's no, no reason to throw the ball back in and try to get anybody. Uh, but that ends up being overruled and turns into a double who does not come across to score. So a couple of times tonight, Libertor, for as well as he pitched, yeah, they almost scored a couple of runs in two different ways. But the Cardinals defense does those sorts of things over the course of time. I, I just didn't think it would necessarily be Nolan Gorman doing it. But I knew he had developed into a solid fielder. I just don't know if I, I if he like to know he had that in his bag surprised me. That's one of the best plays that a Cardinal defender has made all season. And you're talking about a defense that has Nolan Arenado, that has Paul Goldschmidt, that has another Gold Glover and Brendan Donovan making plays at every which position that he that he sits at. Uh, DeYoung has made some nice plays. Tommy Edmonds made some good plays, and uh, Dylan Carlson as well has made some really solid plays in center field. So yeah, for for him to do that, for me to say that about Gorman's play, that it's one of the best I've seen all year. Uh, very impressive stuff by Nolan Gorman. I could watch that one over and over and over. He's an athletic dude, and he is, I mean, all-star season is in full form uh, and, and probably picked up some defensive runs saved on that one. It should be a full defensive run saved. I don't know how the metric works, but that was literally a defensive run saved, saved the Cardinals a run with what Nolan Gorman was able to do in that spot. But we had been talking about the offense for the Cardinals, and like Art Otto, 747 OPS, Contreras, 732. Both those guys should probably uh, come up at the end of the, toward the end of the season, by the end of the season, I should say, with OPSs. I think both of them will be closer to 800. Arenado will certainly be above it. Contreras might be more in that 760, 770 range, but that's still, again, you're talking about that maybe being the sixth or so best OPS in the Cardinal lineup. Donovan's right now at 697. I think he'll easily be above 700. Went two for four tonight, so good to see him doing some nice things at the plate once again. Like, and guys like Jordan Walker are not even on the team right now. So you're telling me one through nine, it's just there's no comparison for the Cardinals and Brewers. There just really is not. I'm looking at the Brewer lineup right now. Um, Telez, which, by the way, he pinch hit in that opportunity against Palante, which uh, doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know. I, I guess he came in before... They announced they were going to play. It doesn't even make sense because he's a lefty. I don't know. I don't know what the decision was. That's some terrible managing by Craig Council if he was pinch hitting for that double play spot, uh, knowing that Palante was the one that was in. I guess I'd have to go back and look at that, but it wouldn't make sense either for him to come in if it was Libertor because you've got Libertor who is a left-handed pitcher and then you've got Rowley Telez, who is a left-handed batter. So I have no idea what Craig Council was thinking. Like, either answer was wrong. Um, but do they not know the splits on Palante that he's better against lefties? I have no idea what the thought process was there. If they didn't have maybe, like, if you wanted to pinch hit, if you wanted to pinch hit in that situation, uh, you know, go go for a righty off the bench, I would think. But Darren Ruff was already a righty, and they, for whatever reason, pulled him from that at bat. He was over 2 before they pulled him. But I don't know. I don't even know what to make of that from Craig Council. He outmanaged Ollie, I thought, on Tuesday. Um, wasn't really Ollie's fault that he outmanaged him. You could say that Ollie left Montgomery in a little bit too long. Um, but uh, maybe I shouldn't have made that about Council versus Ollie on Tuesday. It was more about Council managed really well with what he had, not against Ollie, but just against the fact that they had Wade Miley go out early and he aggressively used his bullpen to make sure Milwaukee uh, had a chance to win the game and then was able to do so because of his aggression there with the relief pitching. But, man, Wednesday, I don't really know what, what Craig Council was doing in that spot. You, you, If you know the numbers, Palante is great against lefties, and he's going to get a double play ball, and you brought in a guy who can get a double play ball. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea what the thought process was there.
But at the end of the day, the Cardinals got exactly what they needed to. They got the insurance from DeYoung. Uh, we'll see how long he's able to continue going that way. And I think we're starting to hone in on a Cardinals rotation, whether it's five men, six men, whatever it is. These guys are starting to put together consecutive starts that are impressive. Uh, I, I know Montgomery's was kind of so-so, but if you, and again, you always say, hey, if you take away the two bad pitches, it was great. You can't do that, and I realize you can't do that. But at the same time, those two solo home runs were really the only marks against Montgomery and what was otherwise a pretty solid outing. And so if you go five and a third and give up three, you do keep your team in the game. That's what Montgomery was able to do. The Cardinals offense could have, should have done more, uh, had a lot of missed opportunities on Tuesday, could have won that game. Still a decent enough start. Like if that's the worst you're going to get from your rotation, that's a sign that you're going to win a lot of games, especially with this Cardinals offense and what they're capable of. Going for 18 runs on Monday, which you only needed about, I mean, you only needed two of them technically, but you only really needed those first eight. And then the 10 run eighth was totally unnecessary. Just meant we were at the ballpark a little longer. But, but at the end of the day, that's an offense that that's capable of doing those sorts of things. But I think you hone in on the rotation specifically because we've talked about the rotation is the one deficit that I, I don't know how you change it all that much to fix it. Libertor was the guy that we've been beating the door down for weeks and weeks to bring up. But every time a Cardinal fan would bring it up and ask me about it, I would say, I don't really know the way to get him in there because who are you taking out? The Cardinals eventually realized he should be here as well, and they decided that the other question is too difficult to answer right now too. So the answer was, we're not taking anybody out. We're going to make it a six-man rotation. How long they stick with that will be very interesting to follow, but Libertor is certainly forcing the issue with what he did tonight. But that stacks on to a start by Monty that wasn't so terrible, by one that was uh, incredible by Flaherty on Monday, by one that was very, very solid from Michaelis on Sunday. So you're kind of seeing a turn through the rotation now potentially with one more guy yet to go. I guess Matts would be the one uh, talking about turning it back over with, with him. Well, no, Wainwright actually would be. I, I keep thinking, well, that's four, so that's it. No, Wainwright and Matt still kind of get through a, a, a full turn if we're starting with the turn uh, being Michaelis's game uh, at Fenway on Sunday. But even earlier in the weekend, you had more kind of five and three outings from from different guys. Uh, Wainwright struggled a little bit in his, um, but but Matt's was okay. And so you'll see what Matt's can do, see what Wainwright can do. And uh, if those guys can turn in solid outings, now you've got a Cardinals rotation that feels entirely different. They're starting to build upon one another and churn through and support the bullpen, ideally with at least kind of half of these six guys. Going to need to go six plus. You can get away with a couple of guys not doing it, but now especially with one fewer reliever, unless this ends up being a short-term only plan and they can get some some relief help pretty quick, uh, you're going to need to have those guys go deeper because the bullpen's going to continue to be overstretched if you don't. But... Right now, we're seeing better signs from that rotation, and I don't think the offense is going to just uh, up and die anytime soon. Like, tonight was a grind, and uh, they, they've the last couple of days, yes, admittedly have struggled with runners in scoring position to be able to bring home the at-bats and the guys that they do get there uh, in terms of ducks on the pond. But I think that they are showing enough signs at the plate and still enough positive quality at-bats like, they were three for nine today with runners in scoring position. Granted, I think one of those counts as the uh, the Burleson bunt, which there was nobody under the impression that was going to score anybody. So, really, I would call it two for eight, um, which is which is okay. But you'd like to see it be a little bit better than it was. I think this Cardinals team, though, if they can combine some good starting pitching with the offense that we've seen come around over the last two weeks and the bullpen that we expected to be, even though they could be a little bit taxed at times if the rotation doesn't do their job, I think this team just has the roster that's better and good enough to compete. 
Eventually, you do have to get out of last place in the division, but for right now, I think the Cardinals are in a good spot. Now i got to do something that I didn't expect to do at all because I had finished recording the podcast and I had hopped on Twitter after as I was waiting for things to upload, and I saw that there was some brouhaha related to some of the things that were said on the Brewers postgame, which this is kind of hilarious, and I don't think that I can let it go. I retweeted it was Van Hickelstein that put it out there, VHS on Twitter, that uh, alerted me to this, and I retweeted him and asked if this was satire because some of the stuff that they're talking about is crazy. Uh, a lot of complaining about the fact that the Cardinals, like last minute after uh, Tuesday's game, decided to go with Libertor or Lefty against the Brewers. Like, well, they know we can't hit lefties, and so, like, I have no idea why that's relevant to the thing that was being discussed. But they were talking about a base running play that I, I neglected to mention tonight, and I wish that I had because it was a very good one by Donovan that I, that sort of slipped the mind as I was breaking this thing down. Got to make better notes during the game. That's on me. But Donovan had a play in this one where uh, allowed an inning to continue. This was in the sixth inning almost immediately preceding, I believe, the at-bat before the DeYoung home run that added on to the Cardinals' one nothing lead, made it a 3 nothing lead by extending the inning on a Burleson chopper to the right side. Donovan able to run kind of just inside the base path. Not It's not like he's veered out of the baseline, but he's on like the grass toward the left side, kind of using that left lane. Remember, the runner can choose his lane to run in. And I, and I saw that Craig Council basically shut it down, what we're about to talk about, and said, no, there's no controversy here, which makes it even funnier that the Brewers broadcast felt that there was one. But Donovan, by doing so, basically puts the Brewers in a position where they're not able to complete this throw as it was a ground ball toward first base. They were going to throw, I figured they were going to throw this ball to second base and get Brandon Donovan. But because he is running basically along the the line of the infield grass towards second, there was no lane really for first baseman Rowdy Telez to throw it. And so he just sort of had to eat the ball. And I'm just going to play some of this for you on the uh, the Brewers postgame show because it is some hysterical stuff that uh, I feel like we're going to need to respond to. So here's some of this from the uh, Bally Sports, uh, whatever they are, Bally Sports Wisconsin broadcast from the postgame for the Milwaukee Brewers. And this one right here could have ended this inning. Rowdy Telez finds Donovan running in the grass, Tim. Uh, here, so several things. The Cardinals' way, all draw it up. Wainwright was supposed to start this game. They bring in a lefty. Telez goes to throw the ball. No, sorry, Donovan's running in the grass. There's nothing you can do. And what happens? They eventually, they just keep tacking on these little anomalies till they get the big hit. I'm going to stop it right there. Like, I have no idea what one thing has to do with the other. The fact that they these Cardinals, man, they just they bring a lefty in, and that is just not the way that it's supposed to be. Adam Wainwright was supposed to be a pitch's game for the Cardinals, as though, like, that was the Cardinal way to, like, pull a fast one and trick them. Uh, but then, like, the angst about that is bleeding into the analysis of the Donovan play. And uh, I, I think that that'll continue a little bit here, so we'll continue playing it. But my goodness, all this was set in motion last after last night's game when all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not Wainwright. We're going to bring up this lefty because we know <laughs> there it is. struggle against lefties. And then all of a sudden, things just fall apart in that way. And I don't know. I, you, there was a lot of players running in the grass. Even on the Caratini play in the fourth that ended the inning with the bases loaded, uh, saw a guy running in the baseline. It was at Newt Bar running in the grass. 
don't know the rule or what could be done, <laughs> but if Rowdy Telez would have just let that ball loose and just absolutely square up Donovan in the okay. back, he may never do that again. So Okay, so <laughs> I don't know the rule or what could be done. This was good stuff. This was this is the kind of entertainment that we're looking for. Uh, I don't know the rule or what could be done there. And, and again, Craig Council ended up, he was asked by a reporter about it, and he said, no, that's a perfectly legal play and a good base running play. So that is the rule. It's within the rule that he could kind of make his own baseline as long as he's heading towards second base. He, he The runner gets to kind of pick the lane, I believe, is the rule. But to complain about it and then go, well, I don't know the rule or if anything could be done. Oh, and they should have just squared up Donovan and, and, and pelted him in the back. A little bit more here from the broadcast. So that's kind of what I was hoping in that moment, but Rowdy was going, you know what? Burns is cruising right now. The last thing I want to do is throw this ball in the left field and make something happen that's not there. So, I mean, I get one side, but the other, the part of me is like, just hit the guy in the back, and then maybe that won't happen again. That was some good stuff. That was some good stuff. I, I saw it, and I was like, all right, I'm going to have to add this into the podcast. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that happened as well. Cardinals win 3 nothing over the Brewers. Audio there courtesy of Bally Sports, Wisconsin. Appreciate you guys for listening. As always, shoot me a message on Twitter, at bshafer12. I feel a little bit deprived tonight because I'm not doing the show live, and so I don't have your comments and, and the ability to respond to them. But you can leave a comment on the Spotify page, but I would rather you just throw them on YouTube, honestly, because then I can actually respond. I don't think on Spotify I can um, respond to the comments, but on YouTube I certainly can. So I will put this in a, in a uh, video form on YouTube with kind of a picture to throw up there. And if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, but you want to leave a comment, let's direct those to youtube.com slash at bshafer12. You'll be able to find the video that I posted uh, early on the 18th of May, Thursday morning. And uh, that's this podcast. So appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Let me know what you think. Matthew Libertor, what an outing by him. Do you think it's sustainable for Paul DeYoung? Those will be more topics that we're able to get to in our next live video. Going to try to do one Thursday after the Cardinals game against the Dodgers because then I will be off again for the remainder of the weekend uh, with the anniversary on Wednesday. We're actually taking a weekend trip uh, to Kansas City of all places, but uh, my wife and I are going to enjoy some time and so won't be necessarily doing live videos while I'm there. However, I am going to try to still do some B-Shape daily because I don't want to go a full weekend without keeping locked in on what's going on with the Cardinals and so I'll give you my impressions, even if it's a little bit of a shorter episode than the uh, the hour, hour and a half, hour 45 marathons that we've been doing on the live stream lately. Uh, you'll still be able to hear from me over the weekend is the plan. But I appreciate you guys, as always, for following along for all of my thoughts on Cardinals baseball. This is it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.